You are listening to Cold Lake Community Church Podcast. I hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families come together. Well, that's the conclusion of our video series of Are You a Fan or Are You a Follower? And if you're just joining us this week, it started off that we had a, a wrecked car in the sanctuary and it had crashed into a tree because the young boy had crashed into a tree from texting and drinking and driving. And um, the next week, he was pre-planning what his answer was going to be. He was like, well, my dad's probably going to be mad at me. Before he can be mad at me, I'm going to tell him I'm moving out. And his dad comes in through the back door and he says, son, are you okay? And the son just melts in his arms, and he's like, Dad, I'm so sorry. And then he stands before the judge. And then this week we see that the mom and dad restore unto him what was wrecked. And they extend the olive branch of trust again, and they say, we believe in you. The only difference is is that when we do that with our Heavenly Father, he already knows what we're going to do. And he still extends that. And so you have to wonder, after all that he had gone through and the grace that was extended to him, yet he still chose to make the wrong decision. Doesn't that sound familiar? It does in my life. So often we use Christianity, we use Jesus when it's convenient for us. And then when it comes to rubber hit the road, we fail him. And like I said, the only difference is, is that the Lord, he knows us. We can't surprise him. And he sees the intent. Did you see the beginning of the video? He pulls it over to, to answer the text, kind of like I've learned my lesson. But yet, this time in his life, for that moment, he still didn't overcome the full temptation. We started out this journey of fan or follower in John chapter 6. So let's give a quick recap. You can turn to that if you have in your Bibles. Jesus was at the height of his ministry. Some people came, people came from everywhere. They were talking about Jesus. He had fed the crowd of 5,000, right, with the loaves and the fishes. He prayed the prayer of multiplication, and there was even leftovers. I said, you know God loves women when he even had some leftover for the next day, right? So the next morning, the crowd wakes up, and they're hungry again. But they can't find Jesus. They're ready for breakfast. And they look around. Jesus, also known as their meal ticket at this point, but he's nowhere to be found. Eventually, they figured out that Jesus had gone to the other side of the lake. And they thought, well, let's go. The crowd seemed to have no higher priority than to be with Jesus. It's like maybe they were followers after all. Maybe they weren't just fans. But by the time they caught up to Jesus, they're starving. They've already missed breakfast and now lunch. But, unfortunately, Jesus had decided to shut down the all-you-can-eat buffet. And he wanted to have that talk with him. Verse 26 and 27, Jesus says to the crowd, I tell you the truth, you're looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. I love the message version. Jesus answered, you've come looking not for me, 
not because you saw God in my actions, but because I fed you, filled your stomachs, and for free. He said exactly why they were looking for him. So he goes on to say to them in verses 32-33, The real significance of the scripture is not that Moses gave you bread from heaven, but that my father right now is offering you bread from heaven, the real bread, the bread of God that came down out of heaven and is giving life to the world. They jumped at that. Master, give us this bread now and forever. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. The person who aligns with me, he hungers no more, thirsts no more ever. I've told you this explicitly because even though you've seen me in action, you don't really believe me. Every person the Father gives me eventually comes running to me. And once that person's with me, I hold on and I don't let go. I came down from heaven not to follow my own whim, but to accomplish the will of the one who sent me. So Jesus decided to have the DTR talk. Do you guys remember the DTR? He says uh, they showed a video clip and said anybody who is in the age, I don't know, it was like 12 to 14 and up, have had the DTR talk. They know what that means. It means define the relationship. And so often... You have to, um, in a relationship, one or the other person's going to say, okay, so where is this going? What are we anyway? What's, uh, how do you really feel about me? So Jesus is having this talk with the crowd. He knows the people are not going to all the trouble and sacrifice because they're following him, but because they're following the food. They're fans of Jesus, but how would they respond when the drive through window was closed? In verse 35, Jesus offers himself, but the question is, would it be enough? Then Jesus declares to them, hey, it's me. I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. Who believes in me will never be thirsty. When Jesus is the only thing on the menu, you determine if he's really what you're hungry for. Many people in this room have run into difficult situations. When the rubber meets the road, those type of moments happen. Where do you find yourself turning? And uh, Sherry is so kind to offer to share a testimony this morning. We had asked at Ladies Bible Study, hey, has everybody had an experience of uh, having a light bulb moment from the series of Fan to Follower? And uh, we had Marcia in the first one, but Sherry, if you would come and share your testimony. You know what? It's not easy to get up here, so just give her a round of applause. Thank you. Well, some of you don't know me as I'm relatively new to the church here, and my name is Sherry, and I'm super proud to be a follower of Jesus today. You see, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, but I did grow up with good Christian morals and a wonderful family life. I got married when I was 20, and I began my life with my husband. After almost 11 years of marriage, I lost my husband tragically. There I was, left alone with my three boys that were very young, a farm, and a funeral to plan. I remember feeling just numb and not being able even to think straight. I had a wonderful biological family and a wonderful church family that gave me all the earthly support I needed. But more than that, 
I had a faithful Lord that followed, fulfilled his promise in Deuteronomy to never leave me or forsake me. When everyone else was asleep at night or busy with their own lives, I sat quietly in my house with only my Lord to share my grief with. What incredible comfort it gave me to know that even though all of my earthly friends and family were praying for me, that the Lord was right, where, right there with me through the whole ordeal. My Lord has stood with me, helped me, believed in me, given me strength, grieved with me, rejoiced with me, and guided me. Why wouldn't I want to follow someone who has proven himself like that so many times over and over again and in so many circumstances? Or maybe a better question is, why wouldn't you want to follow someone who can do the same thing for you in whatever circumstances you're in? And that's, that's how you know. When the rubber meets the road, and I just want to say thank you, Sherry's family, too, for just laying her share her testimony in, because it involves you guys, too. Um, but when the rubber hits the road, that's when you know. And I, I just read a quote last week, and it said, sometimes God allows us to hit rock bottom because he wants us to know that he is the rock at the bottom. And uh, I'm kind of, quote, addicted, but, you know, when I find good ones like that, they, they kind of stick with me for a while. But, um, you know, remember Lance had talked about the Ukraine trip and how crazy that missions trip was, how everything could possibly go wrong would go wrong. And um, the couple who went with him had actually, uh, she was pregnant and she'd lost her baby over there. She was further along in her pregnancy. And when, we, when they came back from the Ukraine, hardest thing ever had to do a baby funeral with them. And, you know, I will never, ever forget what I learned from that couple. Because we sat down to plan out the ceremony type of thing. And they said, Pastor Lance, make sure you tell those people, everyone, our friends and family, make sure you tell them that we're not mad at God. Make sure they know that we believe this life is just a whisper of time compared to eternity. And so we don't hold that against him. And I thought to myself when I was reading this over, I was reminded of, the, of that couple and thinking, you know what, that's how you know you're a follower. Because when it's a fan and things don't go the way you like, you're out. So here in John 6, the crowd has decided, has to decide if Jesus is enough. Are they hanging around for the perks or is it really about the relationship? And do you remember what happened? The fans turned and went home. And here's what we read at the end of the chapter. John 6. After this, a lot of his disciples left. They no longer wanted to be associated with him. Then Jesus gave the twelve their chance. But before we move on to that, I just want to explain a little bit more. When Jesus is having the talk with them, he says that even though you've seen me in action, you don't really believe. And he goes on to say, this is what my father wants, that anyone who sees the son and trusts who he is and what he does and then aligns himself will enter real life, eternal life. 
And Jesus says, this is my part. This is Jesus's part to put them on their feet, alive and whole at the completion of time. At this, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven, the Jews started arguing over him. Outside of their arguments, Jesus said, don't bicker among yourselves over me. You're not in charge here. The Father who sent me is in charge. He draws people to me. That's the only way you'll ever come. Only then do I do my work of putting people together, setting them on their feet, ready for the end. So I think sometimes when we see, if we interpret the question of is Jesus enough, and we base it, we get a mindset that says, do I have what it takes to be completely committed to him? Then we mess it. We miss it up. So what we need to do is listen to what he said. He said, my job is that at the completion of time, I'm presenting you to my father. So our job is to say, yes, Jesus, you're enough. I commit my life to you. I give it to you. I put it into your hands, and I trust you. His job is to keep us. Because if we have to be the one who says, at the day, at the end of time, I'm going to stand before you, and you're going to see that I'm presentable, that I'm, I'm good enough, I'm clean enough, oh, my goodness, we should all go right now. But when he says, it's my job to present you to the Father, it's my job to set you on your feet. Doesn't that make the whole invitation completely different? Doesn't that make you say, well, I, I can trust you, because really the only way you lose is if you quit. So he says to the, so I, what I wanted to say is that he clearly stated to the crowd. They didn't just say, okay, so there's no more bread, we're going home. They had an understanding. He was good enough, he was gracious with them, he was kind, he laid it out straight that your portion is this, and my portion is this. But yet, they still decided to turn and to go home. And from that point, then he turns to the 12 disciples. Many, many of the followers had left. Jesus turns to the 12 in verse 67. After all the disciples left, they no longer wanted to be associated with him. Then Jesus gave the twelve their chance. Do you also want to leave? And can you imagine, you know, throwing that out there? Like this right here is the picture of Jesus Christ as he was. Because if he had phrased it this way and said, um, if he had said, you know, the benefits will be really good. I promise you it'll all work out. If he had coerced or if he had tried to influence their answer at all, then their response wouldn't be valid. But he just had to lay it out there. And this is a picture of Jesus as vulnerable because love that is not tested is not true love. You don't know for sure. If you don't come up against a test, you don't know. You know, our society is very much into weddings. You look at all the shows that are out right now. There's, you know, buy the, say yes to the dress and all the different wedding shows that are out. Our society is very much into weddings, but they're not super into marriage. Jesus is into long-term relationship. That's why it's so important to define the relationship. Because if you don't know, if you don't plan for the last day, then you could end up any day, right? So he says, what about you guys? And Peter replies, Master, to whom would we go? You have the words of real eternal life. We've already committed ourselves, confident that you are the Holy One of God. 
And that so needs to be our response. Where else would I go? What else would I do? Peter's answer sums it up. That one question seems to ask a thousand other questions. Who could lead us like you could? Who could teach us with wisdom like your wisdom? Who could possibly bring us closer to God? Who would ever want to leave the Messiah? Who else is worth following compared to you? How could we ever find anyone else like you? See, fans bail on Jesus when his teaching gets difficult and when he asks them to sacrifice. When he asks them to take up their cross, when he asks them to die to themselves, fans take off. There's something special about having a deep, intimate relationship where you can trust someone explicitly. I trust Cindy more now. Oh, my goodness. That's so sweet. <laughs> it's a funny thing when you read someone else's notes. But the, the thing about marriage, which is such a picture of Christ in the church, is that long-term is where the dividends are. The only difference between someone who gives up and someone who's married 65 years, which I met uh, Jolene Rogers, her grandmothers and grandfather are having a 65th wedding anniversary celebration in Saskatchewan. Can you imagine 65 years married? Like, that's just amazing. The only difference between someone who doesn't make it and someone who makes it that far is that they don't quit. You just continue working at it because it doesn't depend on how great a partner you have. It depends on how much you're able to trust God in that. Uh, So the trust increases. So it's so funny because when you get married and you're walking down that aisle and you see him waiting at the front, you're just like, my goodness, like, is my heart going to, like, pop out of this dress? Not because the dress was so tight, but because you're just like, oh, I love so much. And you think, like, when people are going, I remember thinking as we're shaking hands through the receiving line, you know, I bet none of these other people are as much in love as I am. And I kept thinking, like, this was everything. And now you look back 18 years later, and you're like, I'm not even sure if I really liked him compared to today. You know, like, it should increase and grow, right? That's a sign of a mature relationship. So if all of us believed and knew with every ounce of our being who Jesus is and how much he desires us, I think we'd have an easier time swallowing the hard stuff. And sometimes those um, hard things that happen in life, diagnosis, relationships, that kind of, st- that kind of stuff, um, that's what proves how much we love him. That's where the test comes in. It's our chance. It's not to say, how are you going to fix this problem? How are you going to change the situation? He's looking for our heart response. Do you trust me? We don't know the way we, we wish, so we don't believe we should. Have you ever found yourself praying, Lord, just show me your ways or give me a sign, and found yourself questioning your heart, God, if you love me, why is this happening to me? Often we want the Lord to answer our prayers the way we want them to happen, and we want God to do whatever it is we wish him to do. You know, he's not a genie. Uh, so many people think that, you know, Christian's life should be perfect. It should be smooth. At the very least, it should be easy. And that's not the truth at all. In fact, the Bible guarantees, it says, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. 
So life's not easy. It wasn't like that for the disciples either. They Sure, they were there for the miracles, but at the point they chose to know and believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Choosing to know and believe is a choice we have to make, just like the disciples made. Because if we would believe with the same fire and passion that the disciples had, I think we could do some amazing things like the disciples did. And that's a bit of an ouch, isn't it? In the end, it comes down to whether Jesus is enough for you and me. And we were driving by the um, main road uh, just yesterday, and uh, Mackenzie says to me, what's that building there? And I said, it's, um, it's kind of like a restaurant. She goes, really? What's the name of it? I'm like, well, it's, um, it's the Twisted Lizard. She goes, how come we never go to that restaurant? Like, Lord, why did you give me this child? And I knew she was not going to buy into it's kind of like Dairy King, and mommy doesn't like to go there. So I said, Well, the truth is, it's, it's like a bar, and people go there to, you know, drink alcohol and stuff. And really, as a mom, I could have the authority, the responsibility to say, You know what, Mackenzie? It's a bar. Bars are bad. We don't do that. And that would be a nice little tidy package. She'd have a mental note in her head that says, We don't do that. And, you know, hopefully it would have a long term effect. But I had to say, you know, Mackenzie, this is why people go there. Some, you know, some go to have fun, some are lonely. Basically, they drink, there might be gambling there, different things, really. And she's just thinking, like, well, if people do that, then they wouldn't be Christians, right, Mom? <sighs> okay, Mackenzie, you know what? The Bible says don't be drunk with wine. It doesn't say don't drink wine, so we can't say someone is or isn't a Christian. I said, we don't do that because we don't want to be caught in something that's going to be a stumbling block for us or others. But basically, so the Lord just gave me this super awesome way to say it to an eight-year-old. I said, you know what, Mackenzie? If you love anything else more than you love Jesus, it's not good. Even if it's candy, even if it's coffee, even if it's a person... So he said, what we need to do is we need to make sure, we need to check our heart and say, God, anything that fills me up more than you, it's not in the right place in my life. I said, and a lot of times, the reasons people go there is because they're looking for something. I said, so as your mommy, I would hope that you would be so full of Jesus that the world doesn't have any pull on you. There's nothing the world can offer that's better than him. And so that answer sufficed her, and now we can drive by the twisted lizard without me feeling awkward. So, um, but being a follower basically comes down to that, doesn't it? Where we need to say, you know, whatever is filling my life, God, it's got to be you the most. And if it's not, because we're never constantly and consistently in that place, but when it starts getting out, when the pendulum starts swinging the other way, we need to say, God, you got to do something. I'm, I'm going steps backwards when I need to be going steps ahead. And he is so faithful. Like I read, he's the one who's going to set us on our feet before the Father. We just have to be committed to the relationship. We don't know the day, but we do know his name. It's true we don't know the day of Christ's return. We don't know uh, when health will rise a, a crisis. We don't know when finances may plummet. But you know what? We're all equal in this room in this one thing. Not one single one of us owns tomorrow. Isn't that amazing? God is so fair. We all get 24 hours in a day. Not one of us can be sure of tomorrow. 
none of us want to be declared fans on Judgment Day. And I know we uh, aren't offered the guarantee that we'd really like, but Jesus does offer a different kind of guarantee. He guarantees that if you put your trust in him, he'll never fail you. He guarantees that if you stake your life on his message of truth, he'll stake his life on your eternity. He'll guide you to an eternity with God the Father. We don't know the day, but we know his name. And as scripture tells us, by his name alone, men are saved. But you have to decide. You know what? Every single one of us comes to him broken, but it's not okay to stay that way. And it may be a lifetime of getting better. That's okay. He's not intimidated by how slow we are, but it's not okay to stay where we are. If you'd like to bow your head. My prayer this morning is that our, every one of us, our response would be to him because it's not Lance's sermon. It's not Cindy standing up here asking you this question, but Jesus is standing in front of you right now. And he's saying to you, am I enough? And he's saying to you, what about you? Are you going to go? Are you going to stay? And it's my prayer that you would, like the disciples, like Peter, say, where else would I go? Who else? What kind of hope do I have outside of you? So, Lord, I just lift up every person in this room. And, Lord, we all have, Lord, we're all at different places in our life, but, Lord, you're constant, and you're all-knowing. And so, Lord, I ask for divine intervention. Lord Jesus, that for those of us who've been coasting, that you would just wake up our spirit and we would just be like, I'm getting it. I get it. And for those of us, Lord, who just need to feel your presence again, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would just open the doors that need to be open. And Lord, the things that aren't from you would be so closed, we wouldn't be able to be outside of your will. And Lord, I declare this morning that you are the God of the healing. Lord, we ask for healing in the physical body this morning, healing of relationships. Lord, would you heal lost time? I know you never speak to us in guilt or shame, but Lord, you're always the message of hope. If we give to you what's broken, your word says that you can make something beautiful out of it. You can take what the enemy's meant for evil, and you can turn it around. Just as Sherry had shared, when everyone else is about their life, doing their own thing, you're with us. And so we just invite you, Lord, to do what you want to do this morning. I ask, Lord, that you would bless each one as we go from this place, that you would watch over us. We just thank you for your presence this morning. Amen. We hope you've been blessed by this teaching from Coley Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Holy Community Church, a place where families come together.